Have you been called to do something bigger, something more meaningful with your life? Welcome to the Leap to Purpose podcast, where we explore the stories of those that have taken an entrepreneurial leap to follow their dreams and live their purpose. Hi, and welcome to the Leap to Purpose podcast. Today, my guest is Carrie Sawyer. Carrie's the CEO of Diversity by Design, a San Diego firm that uses design thinking to help organizations create business practices that lead to equitable outcomes. She's also the founder of Inclusion First Project, a safe space for allies to ask questions on anti-racism. Carrie plays at the intersection of design thinking and diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's dedicating her time and talents to creating a more just world where we all can thrive. And with that, let's hear from Carrie. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Good morning, Kurt. I'm doing awesome today. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the podcast is called Leap to Purpose. And what, you know, we're doing is just telling the stories of those that have taken an entrepreneurial leap to do something purposeful, something meaningful. Um, so I like to start off by letting you just kind of tell everyone what you're doing today. Awesome. So I founded a company that's called Diversity by Design, and we use design thinking to help companies come up with um, like practical policies and practices that lead to what I'm calling equitable outcomes. And so it really is about how do you create that environment of diversity, equity, and inclusion at a systemic level. Um, and of course, you know, we're on here to talk about how I got here. This is definitely not, um, definitely not where I started. <laughs> hmm. um, so where, where did you start? What were you uh, doing before you kind of founded this company? Yeah, so I am a user experience researcher, and I started off studying something that's called human-computer interaction, which is all about how to make technology easier to use by mapping it to like the needs and wants and desires and like the physiological way that we use technology. Hmm. Um, and so I had a long career in design. Um, and was really interested in the experience of people. And I'm one of those people who gets to use like their right and left side. So it's like analytical because there's all these design like practices and ways of doing things, but then it's all about how people use things. So you're always connecting and thinking about and anticipating the needs, um, which is really fun. Um, That's sure. cool. I, I uh, My background is in industrial engineering. And so yep. I took some classes We're on cousins. human factors and, <laughs> uh -huh. and things like that. And, you know, that was a long time ago. So we were not probably where you are now, it was looking at, you know, ergonomics and, you know, it was work related, but, you know, how we sit, how the, you know, everything flows and, and yeah, that absolutely. kind of human factors. But I find that kind of stuff really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a little bit um, after you, like, honestly, ergonomics was still being talked about because this is like, you know, circa, 2000 that I started mm -hmm. studying like user experience stuff. Okay. <laughs> so a yeah. lot has changed. And um, that really was a big part of my trajectory because we st I started to apply design principles to a totally different area, which of course was diversity and inclusion and finding that intersection um, between the two. And as you were doing that in your job? So at first I wasn't, at first I was just like a straight user experience person. And I had a lot of different kinds of design jobs at all kinds of different companies. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up here in San Diego at a company called Qualcomm. And I was on a dedicated user experience team and um, doing all my user research stuff. We had a really cool lab that had like eye tracking and like cameras and two-way mirrors and all this great stuff. So we could really, really hone in on what people were doing on the technology that they were creating. 
Um, and that company also had something called employee networks. And so that's like the women's group, the African-American group, the LGBTQ group, the Latino group, all of these different groups. And so I started to volunteer um, for these groups, which is really about creating employee engagement, um, celebrating different things, like looking at company issues and from like kind of a ground up kind of way, um, helping the company to like shift and change to make a better employee experience. And so um, I was living what I like to say was a double life. I was super involved in the women's network and the black network, and I would volunteer for the other ones too. Um, I was president of one and vice president of another. And I thought I was doing like the most amazing job at my work and doing all this stuff and volunteering and getting really fulfilled by that. Um, that's why I was doing it because I really love uplifting and empowering people. And, um, the story is that one day I was, um, going to a women's conference, like a couple of weeks later. And, um, one of the homework assignments for that conference was to ask people about, um, your like strengths and weaknesses. And so I had gone into my boss's office, felt really brave that day and asked him to give me some feedback. And he was like, sure thing, Carrie, come on in. Um, let's talk about it. And so, um, I sat down and he was like, Carrie, you know, I am really impressed by the work that you're doing, um, for the women's network, for the black network. I love how you're representing our team. I love the passion and energy that you are bringing to, um, the work that you're doing for them and the volunteering. And, um, but what I would really love to see is for you to bring that same passion and energy to the job that you're doing on our team. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, really? <laughs> Um, I had never gotten negative feedback from him before. So I was totally like floored um, and like defensive. Of course, I was just like, no, like in my mind, I was, I was like, no, that's not possible. Cause I was so passionate about these um, groups that I was helping with um, and user experience by that time had become something like just totally um, like second nature to me. I, I compare it to being right-handed. Like mm -hmm. no one is passionate about being right-handed. You just are right-handed. I, I see UX stuff everywhere. Right. So um, but because my reaction was so like visceral and immediate, like, no, that's not possible. I was like, well, maybe, maybe it is possible and I'm just not seeing it. So how could I be just as passionate about the work that I'm doing on our, my UX team as I'm about the work that I'm doing to uplift and empower people. And that's what led me on the journey to like actually see that there was a way to use UX stuff on diversity and inclusion. And so that was that intersection design thinking. That's cool. And so what did you do? I mean, did, did you find a way to do this within the company or what mm -hmm. was your kind of when you, as soon as you saw this intersection or, or started to think about how could I have both, what was the first thing you did? So at that point I had made my way to like big picture thinking, which was not where I started. Cause I'm like, mm. at first I was just like, oh, these things are all separate. I have to pick one. What am I going to do? Once I saw the intersection, I'm like, oh, I could make anything. And so how could I apply design thinking to diversity at the company? And so I'm like, I'm going to make up a project. Like the way that the user experience team worked, we were like internal consultants. And so other teams paid us to do work. So I'm like, I can make a proposal to the diversity team and see if they'll pay for me to study something on there, you know, a problem they're having. And I'm like, I'm going to do the uh, project on the minority STEM pipeline. How do we fix it at Qualcomm? And so um, because I'd been volunteering so much, um, they knew me, they knew I had lots of crazy ideas all the time. And they're like, sure, Carrie, come over. We'll hear your next crazy idea. And so um, <laughs> I pitched them a project to use design thinking to solve the minority STEM pipeline. And they were like, Carrie, you know, this is really great. This is a great idea. Can you take this proposal and redo it for staffing at the company? Because hiring is a big priority. We want to understand what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And we think that maybe design thinking could help us with that. And I was like, yes, of course, because hiring has so much diversity 
diversity and inclusion in it um, from like representation to interview panels to where you're going, who you're looking for, all these things. So I was like, this is even bigger than what I was thinking. So I went back, redid my pitch and presented that. And I was so um, surprised because first I presented it to a director and then a vice president. And then the vice president was like, hey, the EVP wants a one-sheeter on this. And eventually she gave me the green light to do the project. So for the very first time I had uh, my own team, my own project plan, like my own budget, all of these things. And it was incredible. Um, And as we were creating this new thing, this new diversity design thinking project, one of my friends and I, we were just like, you know, this is something. There's like a book here. There's a podcast. There's a company. No one is using design thinking on diversity at this time. And this was in like 2015. I didn't know of anyone. So that was like when the seed planted in my mind that I could have a company doing just this one day. Hmm. And so this project that you got approved and funded, uh, was it under your existing role with the boss yes, that gave you was. the feedback? So you were able to exactly bring that enthusiasm. So you were actually able to tie the two together, your existing role yes. and this project. Oh, so I owe a big shout out to my boss um, yeah. guest for, for helping <laughs> me to get to where I am right now. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Okay. So that's cool. Then what was the next thing that happened? Because so you started this project mm-hmm. and then- yes that finished successfully or what, what happened? Like it did, but there was a big twist because, um, about three fourths of the way through the project, um, one of my old mentors, um, who had moved to Intel called me and said, Hey, Carrie, we're doing diversity, equity, inclusion here. And I want you to come and work for me. And I knew that this was coming. I just didn't really know when, because at that time, Intel was kind of on the forefront of DEI at tech companies. Hmm. Um, They had stood up at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in 2015 and said, you know what, we are so committed to this that we are going to have parity and equity for women and people of color Um, across technical and non-technical jobs by the year 2020, full stop. And so no one else had set up and done that, uh, stood up and and said that. And so I'm like, that would be incredible to go work for the company that's on the cutting edge of the work that I want to do. And so when she tapped me, I I already knew I was going to go. And I'm (laughs) like, but why couldn't you wait till I was bored or when my project was over? Ah, Um, (laughs) but you know, it's not on my timing. So I went, (laughs) Um, I went until, and I actually only worked there for almost a year. Um, And I learned so much because they were really doing it at a systemic level at that time. And they were making great strides in their numbers and how they were thinking about inclusion and how they were measuring it and studying it. It was really amazing. Um, But they, uh, at a certain point, were doing some restructuring and wanted me to move um, to a different state. They wanted me to move to either Portland or Arizona or the Bay Area. Hmm. And I um, moved from Chicago to San Diego for a very particular reason. And I am not done living the dream, sunny, warm life yet. And so that <laughs> <Right>. was- <laughs> yeah, Port- Portland's a little colder. Uh, just, just a teeny bit colder. Um, so I was, that was a deal breaker for me, but again, more twists in the road at that time, Qualcomm had caught up a bit and they were just hiring their first chief diversity officer. And so, um, they were building out a team and I got to come in under them as a manager of diversity and inclusion and start to build the diversity team at the company where my real, you know, not love for my love didn't start at Qualcomm for diversity, equity, inclusion, but it definitely grew into something new and bigger um, Mm -hmm. through my experiences as as an employee there. So I was super happy to come back um, and start to build that team with them. 
did you get back involved in the uh, teams too? I the- did, but at a different <laughs> level, it was totally, it felt totally different. Cause now I'm like in HR on the outside, but I knew very intimately how the teams work, what they felt and was um, definitely always on their side. Even if the policies and procedures of the company were like something that I was learning, I'm like, oh, I understand why they're saying no to this, but like, still, they still need it. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting um, position to be in when you've worked on both sides of that. Of yeah, that track. I bet. Yeah. I bet you get to see all the different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So you go back to Qualcomm. Yes. And then like, what, what, how long did you do that? Or are you still doing it? Or what's the, so I stayed at Qualcomm for a couple of more years working on diversity and inclusion. And, you know, I think it was really because this idea of doing my own thing was starting to call to me more and more. And so yeah. like, I was feeling like a little bit bored, a little bit restless, a little bit like, you know, sometimes you have different like tensions with different personalities. And I was just like, you know what, it might be time for me to think more seriously about leaving. And so the stars aligned and I've said the stars aligned and unaligned because everything is not always perfect. Right. I was having like some conflicts at work at the same time that some other amazing things were working out. I had um, a friend who I had connected with call me one day while I was still at Qualcomm and say, hey, Carrie, I know about your diversity and inclusion and design thinking stuff. Do you want to come and do this um, for a new organization that we're forming? Um, It wasn't a full-time thing, but it was a consulting thing. They were really looking to understand how to build inclusion in from the um, inception of of the company. And I was like, well based on how that I'm not super happy right now with the role that I'm doing and I can't do both, um, I think it might be time to take that leap. Mm. And so, um, and so I did, and we had actually, my friend and I had actually put in um, for our tax ID for the company in like 2018. So we had this entity diversity by design I have to give a shout out to my friend Cameron Kerger for coming up with those exact words. It was perfect. Do you have one of those friends who like always has the perfect word or can say the perfect thing? And you're like, I could just record you, just go around recording <laughs> you so I don't miss anything. Yeah. Um, so I that did. was her. That so she came up with diversity by design. But um, but yeah, so the entity was already there and it was a choice of do I keep waiting or do I do it now? And so that was in I think that was in 2017 or 2018, mm-hmm. um, where I kind of took that leap um, and started to go out on my own and, and ended up leaving Qualcomm um, to do that. Okay. Did you do it kind of part-time for at first, or did you just say, I'm out of here, I'm jumping? I... Um, did it part-time, but I also jumped at the same time. Um, so I d- decided to do some consulting for a firm here locally um, that just focused on diversity and inclusion part-time um, while I was also working on some other projects um, as well. So um, it was like a baby step into it um, because I was still working for someone else while also working for myself, right? And so mm-hmm. you, I'm sure that you know everyone who has done that knows that it's really hard to build up the momentum that you need to launch a company when you're spending like half or more of your time working <laughs> for Absolutely. someone else. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about focus and really, yeah, that it is really hard to do both, but it can be done. I mean, you did it for a little totally. while. And did you find this other company? Like, so Qualcomm, you left. Mm-hmm. Did you find this company and this project before you left to kind of have like your plan or did you go and then found this company? Do you know what there, I mean? I'm just really curious. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was a gap, but the network and the, like the connection had already been made with that company. Um, one of the best things about working for a company like Qualcomm in a community facing role like diversity, equity, inclusion is you make a lot of contacts in a lot of different places all over the city, potentially all over the country as well. Right. 
And so um, I had already been volunteering with this particular group and um, talked with them, knew their owner. Um, and so I kind of knew that there was an interest there in collaborating. Yeah. So um, it hadn't been finalized and it wasn't certain, but it was like a pretty strong lead. So it sure. was definitely like, you know, I took the step out. I could see the rock under the water. Um, I didn't know exactly where it was, but I could definitely see it there. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 I get it. And so um, how long was the project like the, that your friend had originally called for and needed consulting? Was that, was it a long-term was, thing or a short-term thing? It wasn't, thing? it was, was yeah, probably okay. like four or five months or so okay. um, of that. And so then I really was mostly focused on someone else's business and trying to figure out, okay, what do I do next for my own business now? Mm-hmm. And I kind of stayed in that, in that limbo um, for a little while um, until the pandemic hit and changed everything <laughs> for yeah. everyone. Um, yeah. My um, it's an under, understatement. Of, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> That's the understatement of this country. <laughs> um, so I found myself without that consulting job mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember thinking that when we started to just really understand like the magnitude of what was going on, that this was going to be a moment where I could either pause and wait and see what happened, or I could just dive in and create something amazing so that when it was over, I would already be launching versus, okay, now I can figure out what I'm gonna do next. And um, I chose the latter. I was like, okay, let's just do stuff. Let's try stuff. Hmm. And that's when I actually just started playing around with webinars. Um, And um, a friend and I started doing a webinar to help people to um, thrive in times of uncertainty. That was our our mission. Um, And that ended up growing into Um, my anti-racism for allies project, which is underneath the inclusion first project, something that I launched during the pandemic. Um, One of the people that we had invited on that um, webinar was a marketing guru. And she was like, Hey, you know, I keep seeing all these different diversity and inclusion webinars coming through my feed. Um, Isn't that what you do, Carrie? Shouldn't you be doing one of these? And I was like, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's such a great idea. Um, And so we launched our first anti-racism for allies um, webinar. I think that was back in like June or July of last year. Um, And it was really, um, it was really well received. Um, We had a lot of people come to it, Um, but something in me, we were charging for that. Um, And something in me wanted to create something that was more accessible for people because Mm -hmm. so many people have questions, um, you know, with the death of George George Floyd and so many others, um, people's hearts and minds were open in a way that they hadn't been open before. And so I decided to pivot the project, take it on uh, myself and do it for free. And so I did about 20 sessions between um, July and December of last year, um, anti-racism for allies, which is a safe space for people to come and ask questions about anti-racism in a judgment-free zone. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things people are afraid of is saying or doing the wrong thing. And so I don't care if your question is, you know, stupid, you should have learned it in fourth grade. It might even be a little racist. Doesn't matter if you come from a place of wanting to learn and do more Mm -hmm. um, in changing the world for the better, then we will talk about your question. We will unpack it. Um, There is no judgment. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. I mean, I think that is one of the biggest deterrents, you know, is not wanting to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong thing or, you know, by asking the question, does it make it seem like I'm racist? Yeah, or exactly. That, you know, and it's exactly that that's a great, great um, service. Okay, so now you're doing all these webinars. And what, how did you monetize or, 
you know, what did you do next to say, okay, I'm doing these for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So after the very first session that we did, um, we collected questions. So that's how we like, we met people where they are. Like, what are mm-hmm. the questions that you have? We're going to answer your questions in a Q and a format. Give us your questions. Um, and any questions on the table. And the first session we had about 25 questions. And when I looked down at the questions, I was like, oh, each one of these questions is a piece of data. And now this is my design research kicking back up right away. And so if I can get a bunch of these questions about anti-racism, I can look at the themes and the trends and understand where people are struggling the most and then create programs and resources and match them to blogs and videos and existing content so that they can really dig in and get help right where they are, right where they need it based on the data that I'm collecting. And so that is why I kept doing them over and over and over and as many as possible. And I ended up collecting um, about 611 questions, probably more now I haven't checked in a little bit, um, all on anti-racism, which was amazing. That's amazing. now I'm looking at the themes right now and working on, you know, what programs I'm going to link to them. And so while I'm figuring out, okay, what is this data mean? I'm also doing what I'm calling equity advising. And this is again, all about those, how do we create, create equitable outcomes at companies? And so an example of an equitable outcome would be um, when we hired for this job, we interviewed women, we interviewed men, we interviewed people of color at like proper ratios to let us know that we really had um, an inclusive pool. Um, another equitable outcome might be um, we have, you know, 50% men and 50% women in leadership at our company. And so that really is looking at the systemic stuff. And I'm learning a lot about the different problems that people are having at work, at home and everywhere in between, but learning about that from the data that I'm collecting. Hmm. And so now I'm turning that into, um, at first, an advising program. Um, But secondly, I'm going to take all that data and write a book um, for sure, which is going to lead to who knows what, lots of amazing things and programs as well. Absolutely. That's amazing. I I mean, I could see a really valuable um, service for companies to to do this training and this um, mm-hmm. coaching in a safe space, right? Because especially within corporations, um, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of fear of asking the wrong questions just oh, yeah, normally, sure. but within, within a company, I would think there's a lot, even a lot more hesitation to even ask the questions or know what to do for fear of, you know, losing your job or not, you know, mm-hmm. doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing so that either you lose your job or yep. you now have blackballed yourself for future, you know, promotions. And so yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I could see an amazing service for corporations to run that program in a safe space for the employees to have, have somewhere where they can ask these questions and learn in a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a safe safe yeah, way. Judgment-free zone. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing with anti-racism and even thinking, you know, more inclusively and more equitably, it, it starts with individuals. Like you can't solve the problems of the world with the same lens that created it, right? Like there's a famous quote in there that I kind of <laughs> borrowed and paraphrased. Um, and so with this anti-racism work, we're helping people to shift their mindset. And even if they shift it just a little bit, they're going to come up with totally different ways to navigate, totally different ways to solve the problems that are ahead of them. And I really hope that um, anti-racism, I'm calling it like, it would be amazing if it was the gateway drug really to getting rid of all the other isms, because we're in this moment in time where there's this hyper-focus on race. If we can learn how to 
unlearn all of these things that are getting in our way on like one of the most difficult topics of our time, then we can apply that learning to sexism, to, you know, homophobia, to xenophobia, to all the other things. Um, that's like my grand, grand vision is mm. to use this as like a pilot um, to, to again, just get rid of all the isms. That's awesome. Yeah, I can see like when, as you were describing this, it was, I, I was seeing this is, this is um, one person at a time. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, and it's very much a ripple effect. Like I, you know, sure. this person, you know, this person learns and, 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 you know, advances and this person learn, and, and then eventually you have this whole movement, kind of a grassroots movement. Um, so, yeah, I, I was definitely seeing that as you were describing, you know, yeah. this whole effort. Yeah. And we all have a sphere of influence, right? Even if we think no one's watching us, people are always watching us, whether at work, whether at home, what you say and what you don't say, what you do and what you don't do matters very much. Um, because a lot of times if you are silent on something, people think that you agree with what was said. Um, and so you just get counted in that bucket. Even if you stand up to something very small, people are like, oh, they're watching. Um, and they, they, they take that into themselves, even if they don't agree with you, they still saw someone stand up, um, and say something. So, um, you know, really understanding where is your unique sphere of influence and how do you stand up as an inclusive thinker, as an inclusive leader, um, and start to practice these things so that that groundswell does actually start to take place and that those roots spread, um, because the more of us that are thinking in these expansive, um, you know, loving ways, the more it is going to continue to seep into the world and into the consciousness of everyone, um, not just uh, the people who agree with us. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. So what um, I want to ask a question, you know, this is an amazing story. And uh, I mean, I really find it fascinating to just listen to the stories and journeys of how people kind of navigated and got to where they are. And, and so what, you know, if, if you thought back, um, what, were some obstacles or what would you do differently is probably the, the question. Like, is there anything you would say, ah, man, as I kind of followed this journey, I probably would have done that differently now or, you know. Yeah. You know, and this one is, it's, it's both sides of the coin for me on this particular one. Um, I would say that I would have acted sooner. Um, but then I also think like everything happens in design and in um, everything happens in divine timing right? Um, so, you know, I had this idea in like 2015, like 2016. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just now that I've like started to like take off. Now, this, of course, is a perfect time to launch a business in this space um, and to have all this background of having done it already. Um, but I think that I would have tried to take the leap sooner. At the very least, I would have bought my URL um, when I first thought <laughs> of it because it's not available um, uh. anymore. But, um, you know, we have these grand ideas and then like, life either gets in the way or life like keeps us comfortable. And I could say kind of both of those things happened um, with me where, you know, I'm like, oh, it was stewing in my mind, but I wasn't taking action on it. And so why I would love to unpack why I didn't take action on it earlier um, and maybe go back in time and lead a parallel life where I did maybe jump in at 2016 and see where I would be right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think uh, I totally agree that, act, you know, there you're never going to get to where you want to go if you're not taking action. And, and so that's the whole point of this is to inspire people to take action and take the leap. But I would challenge you to say, I think you were taking action. You might've mm -hmm. taken different or more aggressive or something, but you were just, as you said, you, you know, there's kind of 
this divine intervention, like you were taking action, you were being a part of these teams and bringing enthusiasm to them, making these connections that who knows you, you mm. like by being on those teams and making those connections with the company that you were able to work with after leaving Qualcomm. I mean, you were, you were being involved in chasing yeah. this vision in, in ways for sure. And maybe you would have done more. Um, but, but I do think you embodied exactly what I think it takes to follow a dream and do mm. it. You were in these teams, you were like, okay, I don't belong here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to, you know, yeah. and I don't know. I just, when I listened to your story, I think you were exactly taking the right actions. I don't know. That's Thank you, Kurt. my perspective. Um, yeah. I love that. And I, you know, there's this concept called like an intrapreneur. I mm -hmm. was definitely one of those where, um, you know, entrepreneur is like an extra, uh, uh, entrepreneur, but inside of a company. Right. right? And so mm -hmm. I called it going rogue. Like I was always going rogue and doing like projects that I wanted to do or that I thought were more important than what maybe, you know, my leadership was telling me to do, um, because I had a very clear vision of like, how do I help in the greatest way with my skills, my talents, um, and my strengths. And that is ultimately why I always knew that I wanted to go out um, on my own because I wanted to be my own boss. And um, at a certain point, especially when I was at Qualcomm, I felt like it was too small. And even though Qualcomm is a global company um, with you know thousands, tens of thousands of employees, it was too small because they're operating with their own goals, their own missions, and their own values that might be very different from mine. I mean, all corporations, their ultimate goal is to make as much money as possible. Uh, my ultimate vision is to change the world for the better. And mm. so that is why I always knew that I wanted to be out on my own where I could decide what that meant and make sure that I was able to craft um, a business and a way of working and making money around that value. Yeah. And you know, the beauty is with what you're doing is you can then go back into these companies and show them how they can make money and change the world, exactly. you know, and doing exactly. it in a uh, inclusive way. So Absolutely. I don't know, I think that's powerful vision. And, you know, I love what you said, because I personally believe that when you have a really, really clear vision that you personally are already bought into, you will find the way, you know, and just Absolutely. like you did. And, and I, you know, just to go back on the point of taking action, I think that's the most important piece. It may not be, you may not know if it's the right one, but if you're just sitting there planning, waiting for the right moment, I'll, you know, I'll, when it's all the stars are aligned, I'll leap. I just don't think it'll ever happen, you know, because for sure. it's not a straight road to your vision. It's like a jagged up, down, left, right, and, <laughs> backwards, you know, and, and you don't necessarily have the whole map, but if you are clear on the vision, then you'll get there. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's, mm -hmm. I, I envision, you know, these guys following the North star and I don't know where it's taking us, but we're, you know, you're just <laughs> yeah. following this big vision. Um, but the, the important part is just to put one foot in front of the other. You may have yeah. to go around some mountains or around a stream or, you know, in who knows circle. what, or, yep. or <laughs> go back some backtrack in order to get around something, but you're still kind of, you know, focused on this big vision in front of you, it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's the way to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So. No, I love that for sure. 
this idea of um, being clear and then just taking that step where you are. Not everyone can leave their job. It's not even going to work out, right? Um, but there is something that you can do right now to help bring your vision closer to Absolutely. you. And I think maybe that's what I was doing. I was, you know, volunteering for these things and making these connections, like you said, but not even really aware because I was just following my passion, right? And that's mm-hmm. the most beautiful thing when it doesn't feel like work. You're just like, oh, let me go do this. Let me go do that. I want to help over here and being able to um, enjoy that and learn more and grow your experience. And before you know it, you look back and you're like, oh, all these things totally make sense. Even though at the time I thought, you know, they were kind of pointless, but just fun. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Not true. <laughs> Turns out it was all helping. It was all helping. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this is awesome. Um, so what, you know, last question, what would you say to someone who's sitting there listening um, to this conversation and has a dream and, you know, maybe they have a vision or, or they, you know, there's something they've always wanted to do or always felt they wanted to do? What would be your kind of summary piece of advice to them? I would say that know that the thing that you want to create, that thing that's burning inside you is not only just possible, like it's already there out there in the future waiting for you. And, you know, sit down and write five things that you could do at this moment to help you get there. And whether they're little things or big things totally doesn't matter. It could be, you know what, I'm feeling stressed. I need to go for a walk and maybe I'll think about my idea a bit more. Or maybe it's like, finally this like, a book has been in my mind. Let me like sketch out the outline, whatever it is, um, sit down and figure out what those things are that you can do to take those small steps to move forward and keep doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so I really appreciate you. Um, this has been, uh, uh, an awesome conversation. If somebody wanted to learn more about you or, or get in touch with you, what'd be the best way to do that? So you can um, get in touch with me. Um, I have like, <laughs> I have so many email addresses for all my projects, um, but inclusionfirstproject.org. And then um, I have a, a website for my company, diversity-by-design. See, this is why the diversitybydesign.com is gone. So there's little hyphens between each word. I'll okay. let you put that in. Yeah, I'll put it, in, I'll put it in the shirt. Show um, and then follow us on Instagram, um, the Inclusion First Project, because that's the best way to find out about upcoming webinars that we're giving for free. Um, get little tidbits on anti-racism facts and, and, um, information that you can use to help your walk, um, in being more inclusive and, and creating that world that we want. So, um, you know, there's lots of places to find me. I'm open at all of them and happy to talk with people more, um, about what we're doing and, um, you know, how we can practice everyday anti-racism. That's what I'm calling it. Everyday anti-racism. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to put that, all that in the, the show <laughs> notes, but I'm definitely going to go follow it. Cause I think what you're doing Please. is so, so important and so amazing. Thank you, Kurt. This is no. amazing. I really had a fun time talking with you. Um, and thank you for helping to get our stories out there um, and to inspire us. Yeah, uh, no, I appreciate it. And that's kind of my purpose is I just love hearing these stories and, and getting these stories out there to, you know, not only help, help you and, and everybody, but just to inspire others that, you know, they're, dream is, is worth going after. For sure. It absolutely is. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time and uh, keep doing great things. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the leap to purpose podcast. You can learn more about us and join the community at leap to purpose.com. See you there.